Right now, you're listening to a podcast titled The History Of. And in this podcast, we're speaking English. In fact, both of us have a general American accent with a touch of West Coast influence. Imagine if we recorded this 100 years in the future. How would the way we speak on this podcast change? And what if we recorded this 100 years in the past? Would you understand what we were saying? Evidently, though the subject matter may remain the same, the way we use and dictate the English language would differ in both of these scenarios. Perhaps we would have accents or pronounce words differently, etc. That leads us to the question, how did the English language get to where it is now? Today, we are investigating the past of an important aspect in our everyday life here in the United States. This is the history of the English language. You're listening to The History Of, brought to you by KPLY, Palo Alto High School's 24-7 radio station. We're your hosts. I'm Liam Shalon. And I'm Layla Jang. At this very moment, we're using a method of communication that is what some would consider unique to the human species. We're formulating words, developing vocabulary, and utilizing grammar to convey our ideas and thoughts. The ability to create and use such a complex form of communication is exclusive to humans. And since the dawn of human civilization, we have relied on this form of complex communication, or language, to survive. In fact, it's become so crucial to our everyday life that different regions and cultures develop their own languages, dialects, and accents or versions of that language. In other words, it's how different communities have historically made themselves distinct. There are 6,909 different languages being spoken today. These languages are constantly in flux as some languages die and others diverge to form new languages. This very fact leads us to wonder whether or not one day all of the languages in the world could eventually converge, forming one sort of super language that everyone speaks and operates on. So we're going to look at the past of the English language to see if we can discover clues that will shape our predictions on this matter. And if the theory of a single dominant global language doesn't pan out, then how will language look, say, in a million years from now? This is the very question we want to answer in today's podcast. The evolution of the English language can be broken up into three main time periods. We are going to briefly investigate each of the periods to get a sense of how we ended up where we are today. We'll begin with the first of three periods, Old English, also called Anglo-Saxon. Old English and today's English are mutually unintelligible, meaning speakers of each language wouldn't be able to understand each other. To many, Old English is simply considered its own distinct language. It's also a dead language. No one speaks Old English anymore. Or so we thought. Um, Alrighty, um, my name is Hunter Reardon. Um, I am an English teacher at Palo Alto High School. Mr. Reardon is an Old English enthusiast. He agreed to read us a passage of Beowulf, one of the few remaining Old English texts. Listen to how different it sounds from today's English. What? We gardena in yer dagum who the otherlingas Ellen Fremedon, oft should shaving Siathana Preta Monaga Magpa, Meodo Setla, Oftea, Exode Elas. 
Well, one thing is for sure. It sounds different from the way that Liam and I talk. But these are the roots of English. This was the first instance in the history of humankind that the term English was attached to a language. Let's rewind to around 500 CE, just before Old English emerged. Two families of languages were spoken on the British Isles, Celtic languages and West Germanic languages. The Celtic language family was the native and dominant form of communication on the Isles for many years. Today, these languages only exist in the form of Welsh, Cymraic, Scottish, and Irish Gaelic. Gaelic. The second language family, West Germanic, came by way of invasion and immigration. They evolved from a Proto-Germanic language that also gave way to German, Deutsch, Dutch, Netherlands, Swedish, Svenska, and many others. Over the years, Celtic languages were naturally pushed out in exchange for West Germanic languages. Now. History shows us that as invaders dominate a region, they tend to bring with them a new language, a way to differentiate the dominator from those dominated. So when the Vikings invaded the British Isles around the end of the 8th century, they attempted to make their own language dominant. There is this melting pot of languages on the Isles. And out of this melting pot, Old English somehow emerges. We could say that from the root of West Germanic languages, with the impact of the Vikings' languages, and with the slight influence of the remaining Celtic languages, finally, Old English arises. Again, here's what Old English sounds like. Old English, for around five centuries, persisted on the island. Sure, it changed and evolved slowly, but we see for the first time how long language lifetime cycles last. This is until a major event changed the course of the English language forever. The year is 1066. French soldiers are invading England as part of an event that would later be called the Norman Conquest. This event changed the fate of the English language. The Frenchman, William the Conqueror, invaded the British Isles and took over England. This begins the second of our three periods, Middle English. Again, we see this linguistic rhythm of invasion. When the French invaded and settled in England, they brought their own language with them. The influence of French on our language is evident even today. French words are scattered throughout the English dictionary. There are obvious phrases, such as cul-de-sac and coup d'etat, but there's also less obvious words, such as information and table. Have you ever wondered why we call a cow a cow when it's alive, but as soon as it's dead and ready to eat, we call it beef? Well. When the French fully settled into the south of England, a class divide arose. The wealthy and aristocratic classes are speaking French, and the impoverished peasants are speaking Old English. The Anglo-Saxon peasants who spoke Old English ran the farms that raised the livestock, so they referred to the animals as cows, pigs, and sheep. By the time it reached a plate, the invading aristocrats, speaking French, called the meat of the livestock beef, pork, and mutton. So it's in this way that the Norman conquests acted as a catalyst. Over time, a French shift in Old English arose, leading to the development of a new language, Middle English. Even though you wouldn't be able to understand someone speaking the language, it's much closer to what you'd hear in the United States today. Here to begin at the Book of the Talus of Canterbury, one that April, with his shortest soldier, the doctor of March hath persa to the rota, and bath at every vein and switch liqueur of which vertu engendered is a floor. That's Mr. Reardon again. He's reading the Canterbury Tales by Geoffrey Chaucer. 
One of the reasons this text became so popular is because of a device created in 1440, less than 50 years before Chaucer published the Canterbury Tales. The printing press. This invention alone entirely changed the course of the English language. It gave birth to the third period of English, modern English, which is more recognizable to today's English speakers. This is the overarching theme of modern English, technological advancements shaping the diction and intonation of English. The printing press allowed for the rapid dissemination of information. Pamphlets, religious manuscripts, and literature were dispersed throughout Europe. Information and knowledge that was once only available to the privileged, educated, and literate classes was suddenly made available to everyone. The printing press catalyzed language standardization. Take, for instance, the Bible, one of the most popular texts throughout Europe. More people had the opportunity to read because books became accessible and this incentivized the masses to become literate. As more people became literate, we see for the first time language beginning to converge. Obviously, other factors began to play into the development of English. Pieces of foreign languages slowly found their way into the English dictionary as international trade increased exponentially. Then Europe plunged into the Renaissance, a flourishing growth spurt complete with culture, art, and science allowed for the further advancement of the English language. And through the industrial and scientific revolution, in periods of colonialism and imperialism, our language continued to evolve. As more complex technology arose, think trains, telegrams, etc., and as news distribution and media creation evolved, the idea of a universal language became something that humans began to seriously consider. To some, it just seemed more convenient. In fact, in 1887, Ludwig Zamenhof introduced his constructed language of Esperanto to the public. His goal was to create an international auxiliary language that could unite people around the globe. Now, in the present day, Esperanto can claim a fair amount of speakers, but it has never caught on as a truly universal language. And it's around this point in time that English becomes considerably similar to the English of today. So, let's review the basic facts. Old English arose from immigration and invasions around 500 CE, and Middle English developed hundreds of years later when England was invaded by the French, an event also called the Norman Conquest. Then, Middle English became Modern English, once advancements in technology created a communication network that promoted universality and encouraged languages to influence each other. Let's compare each period of English. Here's Mr. Reardon again, reciting the Lord's Prayer in Old, Middle, and then Contemporary English. Listen to how it evolves. Father Uhe, thuthe erton hefonum, the nama jahalgut. To become then richa, gewirtha then wila, an erdan swa swaon hefonum. Ure father, that arden hevainus, hallowed by the nama, the kingdom kuma to, by the wila don, in ertha as in hevaina. Our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. So there's this trend, right? Languages are dying, and the advantages of a single universal language become more prominent with the rise of modern technologies. One of today's language influencers is the internet. It changes the way people interact and speak with each other. Now two people, thousands of miles away from each other, have the opportunity to log onto their computer and, like we are now, hold a conversation at any time within the day. 
by breaking physical and social boundaries that incentivize the use of multiple languages, the internet may converge dialogue. We're certainly in uncharted territory. So, is there a chance that maybe we could end up far into the future? Maybe hundreds of thousands of years from now? With just one single language? Well, we decided to ask an expert, Simon Todd. Okay. Uh, hi, my name is Simon. I'm a PhD student in the linguistics department at Stanford University. Um, I study the connections between the way that people listen and the way that they speak and how that causes accents to change over time. Well, we asked him our question and... I think it's unlikely to happen. So you're right that we have increased opportunities to communicate across geographic boundaries that didn't, uh, that wasn't possible before. Um, but that's not the same as uh, breaking down the barriers between different groups of people. So we discussed this idea with him a little more. Let's think of language as, um, say, a set of words and a set of rules for uh, ordering those words or something like that, like very simplistic terms. There could be very broad similarities such that I could grant that maybe at some very distant point in the future you could have like th three or four broad systems like that. But within those systems, I think that you would still have a lot of variation in terms of the words that are used, what they are used to mean, mm -hmm. uh, maybe the orders that they're put together in, um, definitely in the sounds that people make when they're speaking the language. Uh, and those will all be related to um, more sort of social or, or community type things. While he didn't seem too keen on the idea of a universal language, Todd also brought up interesting ideas about factors that influence our language that we hadn't even thought of before. One factor Todd firmly believes in is the notion of interaction influencing the expansion and evolution of languages. I think from my point of view, um, interaction is really important. So the way that language changes, or at least that, that I believe, not everyone believes this, um, is through basically just people talking to one another and uh, repeating things that they've heard or not repeating things that they've heard. And, um, that's sort of how language spreads from one person to another. So if you don't have interaction between uh, different sorts of people, um, then it's harder for language to change. Interaction. If we look at our language's history, we see interaction everywhere. Invasions by the Vikings, conquests by the Normans, the dissemination of texts due to the printing press. These are all examples of maybe not the evolution of language, but the evolution of interaction. And it's really through these interactions that all other language exchange occurs. Immigration, globalization, urbanization, all of these aspects of contemporary life are mediums through which interaction influences languages. So, after talking to an expert and conducting all our own research, we were able to pinpoint where we personally landed along the universal language theory spectrum. It seems logical to me that society will naturally gravitate towards a universal language, for education, trade, and just convenience. Of course, there will always be niche languages, accents, and pronunciations of words that will help establish smaller communities and clubs of people. But if I had to put a bet on the forecast of language, 
I would have to put it on the convergence to a single root with branches of differentiation. In my opinion, there's this one law, and it's the only law that applies to every single language across the globe and across time. And that law essentially states that languages are constantly shifting, evolving, and morphing. Language is not a constant, it's variable. And this has always been true, and it always will be. So regardless of the circumstances, factors, or situation, languages will always continue to change. We all agree that the English language will change to some degree in the foreseeable future. But no one will ever be able to predict exactly how it will change. We can contribute to making calculated hypotheses, but in the end, only time will tell. There are a lot of questions to ponder. How will the English language, or any language for that matter, change in our lifetime? How about in 500 years, or let's say even a thousand years? How about a hundred thousand years? It's hard to comprehend something that far in the future, but what do you think? Thank you for listening to The History Of. And an immense thank you to Hunter Reardon and Simon Todd for their time and expertise. From KPLY Pali Radio, this has been Liam and Layla. Here to begin at the Book of the Talus of Canterbury. 